So it's time uh, for the message in the book of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Kim already read the scriptures that we're going to cover uh, this morning. And uh, I love this story because it's so full of intrigue and uh, uh, mystery. And there's no way that I will solve it, nor do I think God intended it for to be solved. Sometimes it's better just to worship than to have all the clarity and all the answers. Matthew 2. Matthew tells a story that no one else tells. And we call it the three wise men. There's so many things about it that we don't know. We don't know that there was three of them. There are three gifts they give. Uh, we don't know if they were kings, except the song says, we three kings of Orient are. You know, I always sing it, something about a big cigar. Come, yeah. Wasn't that how you learned it? Bearing. Anyway, so uh, they're not, we don't, they could have been kings. They, they, they lived in probably Babylon, Iraq, hundreds and hundreds of miles. They're not Jewish. They're people that studied the arts, sciences of the day, the stars, and, and, and there was some understanding that there was a, a, a king to be born. It, it had been rumored. Remember, since the beginning of the Bible, God made a promise that he was going to bring a deliverer into the world through a woman. So there's always been the, the, the belief, the faith for a coming Messiah a coming king. Even other cultures had that. So somehow they saw something in the stars, and it drew them. So they come to Jerusalem, which is, they would expect where the king would be born if it's in Israel, because that's the, the main city. So we'll pick up the story as the wise men. It's going to be a contrast of kings this morning, King Herod and King Jesus. And so I want to just kind of follow the Christmas story and the perspective of there's two kings there's two kingdoms, there's two ways of life that are illustrated in this story of the wise men. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, or Judea, during the time of king, you'll notice this word four times between about Jesus and Herod. There's this king language. that The king, so he puts in context both historically, but he could have said, you know, this person, he, he, there's a, it's not just history. The Bible's not just, it's not just a history book. He, he puts this in a context. This is inviting you into the Christmas story to look at it from a different perspective. We're talking about the names of Jesus this morning. We're going to talk about his name as the title, the King of Israel. And the Magi that came from the east came to Jerusalem, verse 2. They said, where is the one who was born king of the Jews. We saw a star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Now, people go crazy about this star. And I'm going to just tell you, I have no idea what the star is. I can tell you this, it's not a UFO. It's not some kind of, you know, space age. Uh, it's some, some, God put the stars in the sky. He can move one around if he wants to. I don't know. He can make comments go by. Some think it's Haley's comment. There's just, there's a plethora of ideas and you know, the bottom line is it doesn't matter. God uses the star to lead. God uses all kinds of things to lead people to him. For me, he used a, a, a number, my favorite number. And as a lost kid, this number just showed up everywhere I went. It just it showed up. And, and I started getting this feeling like there's this sense of destiny, like somebody's guiding my steps. And, and then when I bought a Bible and I started reading it, the star for me was that number. I would just open it and read whatever verse that had that number. And it was just like that verse was written for me. 
now I came to a time where I kept doing it and God, I, you know, I, I couldn't find it. He said, son, it's time to grow up. Read the other verses too. And so you can't, the star's good for a little bit, but you can't live on the star. You can say, oh, a star got me to church. Next week you'll need two stars. So, you know, it's just, a, it's okay to get you to Jesus, but you got to keep going without the star. But anyway, so this star leads these guys. They make this massive journey at, at great expense and great cost. And they come, as they say in verse two, to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he started singing, joy to the world. Is that what your version says? You, you, when you read the Bible, you, you remember, it, you can't say everything, but you got to get in it, live it, feel it. That This king, the word here, disturbed, it's not like, and the king was mildly upset. That's how someone from England might read it, but he's going crazy. This is terror. There is no joy. There is no, the king is coming. He is the king. We sang that song, he has no rivals, which is true. Doesn't mean he has no enemies. Here you're going to see an enemy that felt threatened by a baby. Now this is intriguing to me. This guy is powerful. He rules with oppression. He rules with tyranny. He uses fear to manipulate those underneath him. He's known to have killed one of his wives and murdered three of his sons. He's not a good man, but he's a king, and he's a model and a picture of the kingdoms of the earth that push Jesus out. So you're going to see a contrast as you go through this story between King Herod and King Jesus, and there are only two kingdoms. Now, he ruled over Israel, but he's representing the kingdom of darkness. This is a dark man, but we all have the potential of darkness in our own kingdoms. And we all have our own kingdom. Have you ever met a two-year-old that didn't have a kingdom? Hmm? One of the first words they learn is, mine! Now, when you have more than one child in a home, you learn that word quicker, because one kid steals from another kid, and in and then you hear that word, mine, mine. It's, it's deafening. It's just, you, you want, it makes a parent want to go crazy because children don't have a natural tendency to just say, here, let me share my lollipop with you. Now, some kids may rarely, maybe you had those. We didn't. Uh, we, we had to raise our children to learn to be generous, and they did pretty much, pretty often every year at Christmas time. We'd have the children go through their toys and find the best toy they liked the most, and we'd give it away. Now, that may sound sadistic, but uh, we gave, they saw their parents giving cars away, letting people live in our home. We modeled generosity. Now, they didn't give their baby no head. They didn't have a head on it. They didn't give that away. We wouldn't let them. They didn't like, Dad, this toy's broken. Can I give it away? No, you give your good stuff to Jesus. You bless others with good stuff. And I, we've never had to teach our children to be generous. They just are. by Not because they're born that way, but because the kingdom of God invades a heart, it trains you that generosity is the way of his kingdom. So this king is threatened. He's not happy. His, his world, self-preservation, is the last idol that will go in your life. All of us have it. It's that... I'm going to save me. Save yourself. 
You saved others. The thief on the cross on one side said, you save others, save us. And save yourself. Self-preservation. Security. Means everything in the world to all of us. In the, in the natural, in the flesh. We will give up in America. The day will come. Pretty much every right and freedom we'll ever dreamed of when somebody can give us freedom or, or, or safety. Safety takes precedence over pretty much everything else. We learned it through COVID. We laid down, bowed down, gave up to every rule requirement, shut down, did everything we were told to do in the name of fear, including churches. If I'd have been in California, I'd be in prison right now because I would not have bowed down. And that's easy to say in Florida because we had a governor that said our business was essential, but not so much in other states. And they shut, and churches bowed down because of fear. We don't want to be a spreader. We want to be a healer. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, oh, yeah, I don't want to be a spreader. Yeah. And they, they lie, but it'll come way worse in the days ahead. Somehow, it'll, it'll be security takes priority. Think of it in our world. We, we want to protect ourselves. It's all fine, but fear can lurk behind that and keeping my kingdom intact. That's where Herod was at. Jesus, not so much. He brings a different kingdom. Verse 3, when Herod heard about it, he was disturbed. He was terrorized. And all Jerusalem, this is just an exaggeration. It's not everybody that lived there. It's all the who's who's. It's all the power people. It's all the religious people. They're upset too. That's who hated Jesus. They were threatened by what did he do? He came and loved people. But that threatened them. It threatened their power base. Verse 4, when he had called, this is Herod, called together all the people, people's chief priests, their favorite pastors, if you will, favorite radio teachers of the Bible, you know, TV preachers. He called them all together, and he said, where is Christ or the Messiah? Where is he going to be born? And so they, they, he didn't just ask. Well, he asked them all. Now, the, you can imagine that these are people that have, know the Bible, Old Testament, backwards and forwards. They know verse. They know every nuance. They've studied about the Messiah coming. They know every verse that references the Messiah or may reference the Messiah. And they come back to him very quickly. And, and I can imagine the ones that blurted out the answer. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. And here's how they knew. For it is written in the prophet. He's quoting out of the book of Micah, chapter 5. That's why it's great to have a Bible with cross-references. So I can, you can't remember, but you could look at, I have a little footnote on this verse here, and it says Micah 5.2. So I don't have to, it, it takes me so I can go a little deeper in my studies instead of just, oh, that's, because if you read the context, there's always more than what they quote. Uh, about the, this, and it's, it's really cool if you read a couple more verses after this, but they, they know that the Messiah is to come from Bethlehem, the house of David, where King David was born. It's a little town, as he says, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, or Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. There's a clue that he's not going to be like Herod. He's not a dictator. He's not a tyrant. He's not an oppressor. He's not a self-absorbed ruler. He's not a politician that promises you everything and gives you nothing. He's the shepherd that comes to love and care for his sheep. Now, verse 7, 
Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, let me know. I want to come and worship him. Liar. He's a liar. What's in him? The father of lies. You know, it's interesting. The people that were the closest to Jesus from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is like from downtown Cape Coral to Pine Island Road. Is that about five miles? Maybe it's not quite five miles. It's about five, six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So here's the smartest people in the Bible that that know the Bible. They know Genesis to to, uh, Malachi, the last book. They know the 39. They know the Bible. They get the right answer, but have the wrong heart. What do you think God would rather have? The right answer and a wrong heart or a right heart and an unclear answer. The wise men didn't know where he was to be born. They didn't know the Bible as well as these people knew the Bible, but yet they knew that there was a a, a Messiah coming and they wanted to come worship him. It's not about how close you are. It's not about how much you know. This is the danger of religion. I know that. I've heard that. I know that. I could fill in the blanks. I knew that. But these guys were captured not so much about where, but who. They came from from distant land to find this king of the Jews. And those nearby, passive, apathy, I know the answer. But they never moved. Now, that could be just plain arrogant pride. I don't know if he wants me to come to Jerusalem. Or it could be. It might be true, and I don't want to go there. Jesus is a, Christmas is a threat. It's an invasion. All our cards are sweet and nice and silent night, a holy night, it's all is calm. No, it's not. There's a dragon waiting for the baby to be born, Revelation 12 tells us. It's, there's, there's hell is stirred in a furious rage. That the Savior's coming. We'll see that more in a minute later in the story. So he lies to the wise men and they are warned by God. In verse 7, he told them, tell me where they came. We read all that. I'll come and worship me lied. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on the way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Again, whoop, God, whoop. Doing what he wants. Oh, was it Haley's comet in the year? Now, could it have been the sign of the blah, blah? I have no idea. Nobody else knows. And to my knowledge, it's never happened before. But I know this. God will move heaven and earth when somebody is trying to seek him. They wanted to find Jesus. If you want to find Jesus, he's going to help you. If you don't want to find him, you can stay right nearby and miss him. That's the intriguing thing about King Jesus. He's the kind of king that you can miss him. Herod, you can't miss him. Herod, when he died, he told him to kill a member of everybody's family so everybody would grieve over his death. They didn't carry out his orders. You know why? He was dead. You're going to see that in a minute in the story. 
So they, 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 they see the star, verse 10. When they saw the star, they're overjoyed. Why? Because they're not threatened by the king. They want to meet the king. They want to surrender to the king. They want to worship the king. They're happy when they saw the star. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him, not her. Just to help you, our friends from a Catholic background. We love Mary. We honor Mary. Blessed among all women. But she needed Jesus as a Savior just as much as you and I needed him. She's not to be worshipped. She's not to be prayed to. She's Jesus' mother, honored as his mother, but worshipped him as his servant and his child. They did not come to meet Joseph. They didn't come to meet Mary. They came to meet baby Jesus. They came to meet the king. I mean, can you imagine the faith in these guys? They're staring at a baby. A baby. There's not a holy glow. There's not like he's a big-headed Jesus, you know. Some babies are born pretty good-sized heads on them. And so I've seen them. I thought, man, that's, that's an ugly baby. But they grow into that head. They grow into it. I know no baby's ugly, but there are some big head. And it could have been big head Jesus. Big head. Big crown on the big head. Now he's just baby Jesus. Just baby Jesus laying there. Here's the difference. Think about it this way. Look what it says. They see baby Jesus. They bow down and they worship him. And then they open, I love this phrase, they open their treasures. They presented him with gifts. This is how they come to say three, because there's three main gifts here. And it could be three. They could have been kings. They could have, we don't know. But they are worshipers, and they opened their treasures. They came knowing that you don't worship God empty-handed. You bring God. Not that he needs anything, but that you honor him. You bring gifts. I love people that are raised that way. When they come, we have friends that are just, right, when they come to your house for the first time, what do they do? They bring a gift. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, don't expect that from me if we invite, you know, no. Just, I like it when it happens to me. I don't know that I've done it to very many They show up, but they bring a plan. How thoughtful. It just, uh, so they show up. They, they're ready. Now, there's three types. Gold, most people see as, as representing royalty, his divinity. He's God. He's Emmanuel. Frankincense or incense represents worship, purity. Christ would be our priest. He's, he's our leader of worship. And then the myrrh. Very expensive, worth more than gold. Was, we, we don't find it again until in the Gospel of John chapter 19 when Christ is crucified and they go to bury him. They embalm him with, or, or they go to wrap him with myrrh. It's, it's a spice for embalming. It's a, 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 a barrow. It spoke of his death. So here is baby Jesus. Now think about it. Take a minute with me. Let me help. You help me preach this. Okay. Here's King Herod over here. He's a tyrant. He's a king who rules with fear, manipulation, threats, lies, coercion. Okay, here's what can you learn about baby Jesus as a king? What can you learn about baby? What does it tell you about baby Jesus as a king, about his kingdom, and about him as king, his characteristics? Let me see a hand. What does it tell you that Christ came 
as a child, as a baby, and is king at his birth, contrasting Herod. Okay, what do you think? Honey? There's humility. You, you, to be a ba- it's not just be a baby. That's bad. It's to be a baby with poor parents. That's worse. To be a baby with poor parents in a cave to be born with animals. That's worse. And there's so many levels of, where's his palace? Where, no, humility. It's his kingdom. You can learn pretty much everything there is to need to know about Jesus as king if you meditate on being, him being a baby. What else? What else about him as a baby? Go ahead. There, there's, he came as a weak king. Vulnerable. That's his kingdom. He could be crushed. He could be overwhelmed. He could be crucified. How about how does he, how did baby Jesus get the wise men to worship him? How did, what, he attracted them because of who he was. Not what he'd done. Not some big, there's all kinds of theories or there's books out written way after the gospels they're, they're, they're called Gnostic Gospels, and one of them talks about the journey, and a little bit we'll see that they go to uh, Joseph, Mary, or warned by God, take Jesus, baby Jesus, to Egypt. And there's a, there's a whole written thing. It's not Bible, but it is intriguing. And I, I'd like it to be, but I, I don't believe it. Because they said baby Jesus, when they took him to Egypt, the idols began to explode as he went by as a baby. Wouldn't you love to see that? God, re- I mean, in the Old Testament, there was a big giant idol in a temple called Dagon. Head of a man, arms of a man, body of a fish. They put the ark beside Dagon, the big giant idol, s- several stories high, and God flicked him with the back, just flicked him. He went, ah, boom. He hit his arms and his head broke off. How would you like a God who if he fell would break his head? His head would roll off. You say, well, Jamie, that's an idol. No, to them, that was their God. But they put our God beside their God. He has no rivals. Boop, boom, head rolls off. I would love, they say, baby Jesus, his little garments he was wrapped in, they took pieces of it and touched people, and they were set free of demons and healed and blah, blah, blah. There's all these stories. The only problem with that is it says in the Bible that the first miracle that Jesus did was at the wedding in Canaan. So I, you know, I, I, don't, need, I don't need hero baby Jesus. But why did Jesus get the three wise men to worship him? Did he threaten them? No. Did he coerce them? No. Did he somehow make some kind of a, 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 a false promise of I'll do this and that for them? No. He's baby Jesus. It's who he was and what he came to do that captured them. He wooed them. He was welcoming them. He came near them. Herod, on the other hand, he ruled by decree. He ruled by sending his messengers to do his dirty work. He was a wicked, evil, self-centered, self-serving, Jesus self-sacrificing, humble. He came. There's the king. He's baby Jesus teaches you about kingdom theology. Jesus Humble, vulnerable, weak, and kind. Came full of love. He just was love incarnate. You looked at that baby, and there was only love in him. Now listen to this. So they open their treasures. They worship him, verse 12. They were warned in a dream. Dreams all through this story. God finds a way to speak to his people. 
Don't go back the way you came. That's a whole other message, and we could preach on that. But anyway, I'll let you figure that out. When you meet the king, you don't go home the same. Amen? That was a weak amen. Someone has said, when someone gets saved, your dog should know about it. If you don't treat your dog better after you got saved, you didn't get saved. If you don't treat your cat better, maybe you go get a cat after you get saved. I don't know if I'm that saved yet, but I've come close. If you get saved, your wife ought to know it. Your kids ought to know it. Not because you preach at them. Because they see something. They went home a different way. They went home different people. They went home following the king. They met the king, worshipped the king, gave to the king. They went home singing joy to the world. The Lord has come. They went home a different way. That's just a different message, and we're not going down there. But God said, I want to go down that road, though, but we won't because there's another road we got to get on. So they, they escaped, and now the parallels between Moses and Jesus pick up here. Think of King Herod as the Pharaoh. Moses was baby Moses in Exodus, the first few chapters. Remember, baby Moses is born, and Pharaoh goes crazy like Herod. Why does he go crazy? Because there had been rumors of a deliverer coming. There had been rumors of another king coming. There had been rumors. And so what did the Pharaoh do? Kill the boys. He kills all the boys in Egypt. Jewish boys. But, but one, Moses. He got hid. God protected him. Because God used him to overthrow the kingdom of Egypt and deliver the people of God. Now with that in mind, follow this story here. Verse 14. So they got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet. Now he's quoting out of Hosea. Out of Egypt, I called my son. It's all part of God's plan. God's protecting his son. He's preemptive of the enemy's strength. If you pay attention to Jesus, God is always way more than one step, but God's always a step ahead of the enemy. And he will alert you if you're paying attention to his strategies and plans. And so in this case, he delivered Jesus from the viciousness of Herod. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was, the idea is his fists were clenched in rage. He's screaming. Demons are manifesting out of him. That's because the more he screams, the more threatened he feels. It's like bullies. Bullies will act way meaner to people that aren't threatened by them. Because they're threatened by people that they can't scare. They can't threaten. He goes crazy. And he says, kill all the boys. Feel that. This is, a, this is the kingdom of darkness. It, it may not be manifest in physical violence, but it's I'm going to destroy anything that gets in the way of my kingdom. They pray this prayer. My kingdom come. My will be done on earth, and I don't care about heaven. I want my way, my kingdom, 
my freedoms, my choices, my will to be done. And you know what the kingdom of Jesus will do? Okay. Baby Jesus didn't stop him. You say, well, that's a weak king. Well, it's, it's, it, feel the pain that this brings into the Christmas. You don't, has anybody ever had a Christmas card with babies being killed on it? It doesn't sell well. It's not warm and fuzzy. It's not, oh, holy night. I like the warm and fuzzy. We're dealing with a war here. This is a battle. Jesus, the king, has invaded planet Earth. He's come not, he's come not to be a servant of Herod. He's come to take over the kingdoms of this world in a different way. Not by might, not by power, but by through the self-sacrificing love of dying on a cross. Kill the boys. It's what Pharaoh said. Kill the threat to my power. Destroy the potential of the king coming and overthrowing my kingdom. Jesus is now safe. The babies, think of the mamas. They wept on Christmas. Well, this wasn't actually Christmas Day, but it was sometime after. But still in the Christmas story, Jesus coming brought pain because he came to walk in our pain. He came to lift up our pain and take it. That's why many times in Christmas seasons, it's a, it's a dangerous time for people in hopelessness and despair. There's more suicides over the holidays. People lonely, broken. Think of the people that are, I mean, just all over where we live. You've got people living in tents in people's backyards. Now, if you live in a third world country, that's fairly normal, but that's not normal for here. When you've lost everything and you've got no place to call home and you're displaced and, and you, you, Christmas is like, wow, I'd just like to have a, I'd like to have a home. And, and there are people at Christmas just like to have dad back, mom back, like to have their brother, sister back. There's people that have gone through great grief and, and Christmas time is, there's people that diagnosis of, a couple in the church that just out of the blue got cancer diagnosis spread all over the body and we're praying for them and I got dear friends of ours waiting on a liver transplant they love God as much as any humans I've ever known and it's like God why don't you hurry up and give them a liver what are you waiting on Lord you know I get I get bold with God like that sometimes it's like I care about them I want them I want to see God intervene and that we're just heal heal her liver Lord and and so Christmas is not always warm and fuzzy for some of you. You've got great battles you're dealing with. It could be economic or emotional relationships. But it just, so in this story, I think God allowing us to see, pull back the curtains and see how darkness hates Jesus, how Jesus came in the pain. Now watch this. This is so cool because Matthew's going to pull out of the Old Testament a prophecy, but he does it to pull us back into the fuller context of that prophecy. He quotes out of the book of Jeremiah, and look what he says in verse uh, 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 18. No, where are we? Verse 17, then, that was, uh, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. This is the Old Testament prophecy. A voice is heard in Ramah, which is an obscure little tiny area right next to Bethlehem. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping 
and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, if you had a cross-reference, you could look at it there and say, oh, that's Jeremiah 31, 15. Rachel has long since been dead before Jeremiah wrote. Rachel, the wife of Jacob. Now, you know the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, 10 of them came from other women, mostly Leah, Rachel's sister. Rachel couldn't have any babies. And she's desperate to have a child. She was, her sister kept having children and they shared the same husband, which is a whole nother backstory. And so it's, it's got levels of pain that are unimaginable. Rachel had this pain of, and not only did I share my husband, but now I don't have any children. She literally grabs her husband and says, you better give me a child or I'm going to die. This is a mother that wants to be a mother. She was a mother before she was a mother. And Jacob's like, I, I, I can't. I, uh, so they try. So she gives him her concubine, and he has a, the 10th child. And then finally, God gives her two children. The first is Joseph. Most of you know he's the hero of the Old Testament. The last 10 chapters about how he saves the whole nation. And then she has Benjamin, who in birth, she dies given birth. So she's a mother that knew pain, died before she could see her second child live. And, and the prophet Jeremiah uses her as a, only a mother could relate to the, to she, now he uses her in the Old Testament of weeping over Israel, her spiritual sons and daughters that are being taken by an enemy nation into captivity. It's like Ukraine being invaded by Russia. Uh, Israel got invaded and, and they were taken, they were going, and, she, and, and so the prophet Jeremiah says, I hear Rachel, the mother of mothers, I, I hear her weeping with the, the, the ancestors of, of, of the tragedy of Israel. So in that context, Matthew brings that to bear about these children being killed in the birth of Jesus, but Matthew doesn't have time to rewrite Jeremiah but I want you to see the verse after this verse in Jeremiah. So, so we just read in Matthew, Jeremiah 31, 15. The next verse is what Matthew is kind of winking at us, getting us to go back. It says, this is what the Lord, uh, that's 15, uh, 16. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice. Stop crying. It's not that God's against tears. God's not against, uh, remember when our dear friend Joel preached to us and gave us permission to grieve. One of the best words during the hurricane. He said, I just want to give this church permission to grieve. Whether it's loss of uh, vehicles, loss of possessions, loss of, jo- loss of what, whatever it is. He gave us permission to grieve. God's not against grieving. But there comes a point, God steps into this Rachel weeping. He says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Stop weeping. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For your work's going to be rewarded. Don't miss this. Declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. I love that phrase. I hate it, but love it. They're going to exile. They're going into Babylon. They're going into oppression. The land of the enemy. It represents spiritual darkness. It represents that land we all lived in, the kingdom of self. So take it into the New Testament. And he's saying, you women are weeping. Rachel wept. She's weeping with you. But you can stop weeping because your children are going to be restored. Go to verse 17. 
So there's hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. This is a prophecy of not just the restoring of Israel, but of resurrection through the King Jesus. you got to feel the hope that though Rachel is weeping, Jesus is ruling. Rachel is weeping and Jesus comes to take those sorrows. He comes to take those pains. He comes to face those tyrants as in Herod. He comes to defeat the darkness. Now, in that context, uh, Matthew brings us this place of, of, of hearing our ancestor Rachel weeping, feeling the pain of these mothers. Can you imagine the slaughter that went grabbing them out of houses, hacking them to death in front of their parents? A, a more that happened in the Christmas season. That puts the birth of Jesus in a whole nother light. This is a battle. There's things at stake like life or death. This isn't just a nice little story about little baby Jesus and we come and we're going to have some... This is Jesus invaded planet Earth. He came as king and he planted both feet and said, this is mine. Get out. He came to drive out evil, darkness. He came to confront Satan himself. This is baby Jesus... King Jesus came to conquer. What a different king. Different kingdom. Now just in closing, go back with me to Matthew. I, I don't want you to miss. So he, he's talking about the, the hope from Jeremiah. That chapter that this is found in about Rachel weeping is the same chapter that the, one of the greatest promises in the whole Bible is about the new, pro, the new covenant is in chapter 31. There's a new heart, God says, I'm going to give, I'm going to write my, that's in the context of Rachel weeping and God saying, no, there's hope. I'm going to deliver you from the land of the enemy. Any of you, I don't, I'm not looking for a show of hands, but we all have loved ones, children, grandchildren, friends, relatives, people we know, they're living in the land of the enemy. That's not a good land to live in. I mean, you can live in a nice home in Cape Coral and be in the land of the enemy. You can live in a nice, secure home in Cape Coral, and you could be in the land of the enemy, a land of oppression, a land of deception, a land where you're ruled over by the wrong kings. You're not in the kingdom of God, and he'll deliver your children out of the land of the enemy. I, I just, I feel that. I feel that verse. I could just, now, come back to Matthew in closing. So Herod tells him, kill all the children. Rachel's weeping and God says, it's okay. There's a hope coming. This king is not done yet. Baby Jesus. Now look at verse 19. After Herod died. Now, you gotta, you got to get the fact that th th this has been a contrast. King Herod, King Jesus. King Herod, King Jesus. He mentions three times Herod's death. He's basically, you could translate it this way. King Herod is no more. He's gone. Where is Adolf Hitler? He's gone. Where's Mao Zedong? Gone. Where's Joseph Stalin, the butcher? Right, he's gone. Where will Putin be? Gone. Every dictator, every king that's ever tried to rule will die at some point. They have limits. They may not have term limits. They have life limits. And when God says, 
you're done, you're done. Herod died. Then it was safe. The angel says to the, the angel of the Lord appears in a dream to Joseph and says, go take the child and her mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. See, God fought the battles for his king, Jesus. We have a king that will never die. You say, well, he was crucified. Yes, he was. He came, born that man no more to die. He came to give his life. And that through that death and resurrection, he sits on a throne forever and ever and ever. Amen. He's King Jesus. He'll never be, and King Herod died. You'll never hear, and King Jesus died. He has a different kingdom. It's not of this world. He has a kingdom that will never end. He's King Jesus. You might be able to answer Yes, Jesus is a king. But the bigger question is, is he your king? As an incredible message preached one time by an African-American pastor about Jesus being king, and I, I could almost play it for you. It's just a great Herbert Lockyer. He's, he says, he's my king. Is he your king? And I'm telling you, when he goes off on Jesus being king, all you can do is stand up and shout, glory, hallelujah, he's my king. But he's come to rule. He's come to rule, not as a dictator in our lives. He'll let you make wrong choices because he gives you that responsibility. He loves you into following him and into surrendering to him. But people are threatened by King Jesus. Baby Jesus, not so much. Baby Jesus is warm and fuzzy at Christmas. But King Jesus that comes to rule. And there's no room on the throne but him. Whenever you see a car with a bumper sticker, God's my co-pilot, run from them. I wouldn't get in a car that said that. Dude, you want Jesus driving your car, buddy. I mean, you're, you're not a good enough driver. For, I want Jesus as the pilot. I don't need a co-pilot. I don't need a little statue of Jesus watching me in the car. I used to have a friend. He had a statue of Jesus. I said, what do you have? And he said, he said, he's watching me. Well, if he got any power, let him watch the road. I'd turn him around and let him watch the road. Because <laughs> King Jesus doesn't share his throne with anybody. He has no rivals. He has a lot of enemies. He has a lot of people that are threatened by him that aren't singing joy to the world. They're thinking, how can I protect my kingdom from one who has come to take over? As the old saying, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. He's not on the American side any more than he's on the side of, of uh, uh, somewhere in Ethiopia or, or Zimbabwe or uh, where, where, you know, Costa Rica, or God's, he's not on a side. God doesn't take sides. He's God. He's the king. And this story tells us the universalness. You tell the greatness about somebody by how many languages worship him. How many people groups call him king. How many people in Asia 
are worshiping the king in India, worshiping the king, South America, singing Gloria Dios to the king. The diversity of every tribe, tongue, and nation speaks of his greatness at his birth. These are not Jewish wise men. These are strangers of Israel, Gentiles, coming from pagan countries. He's of the nations. He's not the king of a little local area like Herod. He's the king of the universe. He didn't come to be pushed around by Herod, though he allows himself. He allows himself to the ones that took over, Herod's sons take over, and then he's put, you know, Pilate, but he comes to lay his life down. And that's the kind of king we have. He's a different kind of king, but he's my king. Is he your king? When he's your king, then you have the benefits of his rule in your life. Because in his kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not a perfect world around us, but he comes to bring peace. So I look at the Christmas story as a battle scene. I love the silent night away in the manger. I love the, the, the warm fuzzies. But we've got to remember, there's a lot of pain right now in the world, a lot of pain in here. Jesus came and entered that pain. He actually, in some ways, made it worse because he, he, he created a, a division between light and darkness. He came to draw a line in the sand and say, which side are you on? You say, I'm on my side, then you just declared you're under King Herod. You're under the kingdoms of this world. If you think you're on my side. If you're under Jesus as Lord, then you're walking in his light. And there's only two kingdoms. Now, the darkness has lots of expressions and lots of different deceptions and religiousness to it. But in the kingdom of the King Jesus, there's just one king. His name's Jesus. There's no room for anyone else. And it's those that have said, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not mine, but thy. This kingdom over here under King Herod, my will be done. And God will let that happen. He'll let you defend your own kingdom. Or you can come and surrender and say, thy will be done. My king, our king, King Jesus. Let's pray together. What a miracle, Jesus, that you would humble yourself and come as a baby, be ridiculed, mocked, persecuted, nearly killed before you were able to walk. And yet, you're king today, and Herod's dead. You're king today, and all the enemies that have fought against you are dead. You're here, Lord, to bring your kingdom today. You came to earth to bring us back to the Father. You came to bring your rule in our lives. Lord, if there's people here today that have never surrendered to that, Lord, would you give them the, the grace? You won't force them like Herod would do. You'll woo them. You'll invite them. Just because of who you are and what you've done, You'll draw them to you. If you're here today and you've not made that surrender to King Jesus, it's as simple as a simple prayer to say, Jesus, I surrender all to you, just like the wise men did. 
You open up the treasure of your heart. So, Lord, I'm going to give you my trust. I'm going to surrender my heart to you. That's the greatest treasure you can give Jesus. Say, Jesus, come be Lord of my life. Lord and King are the same meaning. Ruler, number one. King, Lord. Say, Jesus, come be Lord of my life. Just invite him to do that right now. This is how you have a new beginning. This is how the meaning of Christmas becomes life-changing and transforming. Father, would you give courage to anyone that needs to be bold today and take that stand to say yes to Jesus as their King, as their Lord. Lord, give them that courage. In your name we pray.